Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are in Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of the ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the message that uh, you have given us. I pray, Lord, that everything that's said today will just be of you. And if anything is of this sinful man, that will be forgotten. You are good and gracious to us, Lord, and we thank you for this day. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, Julie, thank you for reading. Thank you for the announcements. Um, we do have those two prayer nights, or the prayer Tuesday prayer morning and prayer evening. Uh, highly recommended. It. It's a good time to come together and just get yourself into the, the focus of serving and being a blessing to the community through prayer. Um, we are finishing up, or we're getting close to finishing up Ecclesiastes, so if you're getting done with being down and depressed and about the vanity of life, we're coming to the end. The last three chapters are a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more focused on, uh, on God, and not so much on the the vanity of life, uh, but we're actually even in this section of verses, which I only have five short verses to talk about today, there, there's nothing about uh, the vanity of life and the death, but it's more focused upon the wisdom that, uh, that, someone, that this man has. And we're going to kind of like always in everything we do when we preach, we try to pull out and we want to see the gospel and we want to see Jesus. And uh, in this I think I was able to see it, and, and hopefully I'll be able to share it with you. But the, the no vanity, no despair, and no, uh, no why bother even attitude to have in this ses- section of verses. But in this wisdom of work, Solomon doesn't, uh, doesn't give us much information. So when he's talking about this city, we don't know where the city is, the size of it. We know it's small. Uh, we know that it has a few men in it. Uh, and we know that there's a great king that's coming against it, but that's pretty much it. We don't know the, the, uh, the words that were given by the poor man to, to hold off the advancements of the king. Uh, we don't know if there was anything that was uh, said, uh, how the negotiation went, or if it was just saying, we don't know. Uh, Solomon doesn't give it to us. But what he does say is that the, the, uh, the poor man, the wise man, was not remembered for his efforts, was not uh, celebrated for his efforts. There were no streets named after him, no, no statues built, no holidays established for what he did, but his words were forgotten, and he was still despised. And there's so much that you can see right there, how, how that can relate to uh, wisdom in our day, but also how that wisdom of Christ was also in that same way. Had the, but what we do know is that if the inhabitants had bowed their neck and decided to wage a good fight against this king, that the end was going to be inevitable, that there was going to be loss. 
The decision to follow the poor man yielded success, and still there was nothing there for him, still forgotten. And Solomon contends that wisdom is still better than any weapon that could have been waged against this king. And he finishes this chapter in the hard left. If you see him, he's saying, wisdom is better, but a, but a sinful man, one sinful person, the sin of one can destroy much good. He's going through and he's saying, wisdom is better, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Even though it's despised, it's still better. And then he takes that hard left and he says, and a sinful person can destroy much good. And when we think about that in history, and especially in biblical history, there gives us several evan- uh, examples of one individual, one sinful person making terrible things happen. We st- can start with our federal head, Adam. Adam with his one sin, he's given one job to do and he fails right away and from that sin enters into the world. And from there, we're all broken. And then you go into after the fall of Jericho where they marched around the city for seven days and the walls fall down. Nobody throws a spear. Nobody uh, shoots an arrow. Nobody uh, swings a sword. And the whole city is besieged and given over to the kingdom. And one individual, Achan, steals or holds uh, some of the property that was, um, was uh, obtained and he keeps it in his tent. And from that, the entire nation is, uh, is, is, is in a losing battle. They go into a war the next, uh, the, next compa- uh, the next conquest and they go against a small city and 36 individuals die in that battle. What's odd is everybody, there's always death inside of a battle, but this one, just 36, and, this, and the nation of Israel melts because no one had ever died in all of their battles. God had gone before them and won every battle. And this one, they realized that there was sin, and sin had to be taken care of, and God dealt with Achan with his sin. And the whole nation had to be restored after that. The next one, another one, is Rehoboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And if you can imagine, he's, Solomon is talking about in, in Ecclesiastes of just the vanity of everything, because he knows that he's going to be handing it off to somebody, and that somebody is Rehoboam. Rehoboam's sin, immediately after he takes uh, control of the kingdom, it's split. Ten nations go north, two nations go uh, south, and the, and the uh, nation of Israel is divided because of one man's sin. Another sin is Judas. So much good was going on in that one man's sin, and sins the only sinless individual in history to be executed another sin is ananias and sapphira and you guys probably have heard this the the church in israel in jerusalem is moving at a rapid rate and one couple who decides to to lie to the holy spirit and say that they didn't make a certain amount of money even though they didn't need to lie they didn't need to give their money but they lied and set uh, the first defeat to the church that was on a, on, a, uh, on a roll. Much good can be destroyed just one individual sin. And that is, and that is kind of where we're going. But as we, as we look at the wisdom that is uh, described by that poor man is where I want to uh, make sure we take us. And my goal is to show that Jesus is in this uh, text and draw out the gospel of it and everything that we want to see because Jesus is not just a footnote in those short little few years in which he had his ministry, but he was 
He was proclaimed and prophesied from the very beginning, and he is ex- exclaimed in, uh, in Revelation and in our lives. So throughout all history, Jesus is always there. Thank you. But we do know that Jesus was, uh, it was a poor man, and he was despised by the city that he was there, he was sent to save. And uh, there was a moment where Jesus is being asked uh, to, uh, why his teachings were so difficult, and some of the, uh, the, the religious leaders were asking, well, I want to follow you, and he says to them, being a poor man, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the man that was despised, the poor wise man that was there to save. Jesus taught a kingdom of heaven and deliverance. He taught of things that did not line up with the culture and the uh, prosperity desired by the leaders of his day. When we jump into Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us examples of what life could be like or what we should be doing as, as ministers of the faith. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If you're if you're a believer in Christ and you submitted your life, you are that poor wise man. If you are poor in spirit, you are uh, meek, you are desiring to proclaim Christ, you are that poor man because you have that wise, that you have that wisdom that needs to be given to a city. I mean, but can you think of a, can you imagine a TikTok influencer proclaiming the Beatitudes? describing the importance of of being meek of being humble being pure in heart it just wouldn't happen those truths don't come out of a out of an influencer i was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about the top five earners who have only fans and i was like this is going to be interesting and as they started going through they talked about one the the fifth one makes 12 million dollars and the top earner makes $22 million per month. And as you think about that, it's absolutely insane that these people are elevated. But, but they're the ones that are going to be on the uh, talk shows. They're the ones that are going to be uh, asked to do a human interest story. And they're going to be able to speak into politics. And they're going to be able to speak into culture. And they're going to be able to speak into policy. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be uh, asked, to, asked to, to speak and to be involved. And our culture, just like every other culture, every human being is always able to go- wanting to gobble up and to take in what they have to say, what they do, and to, to be like those that have uh, fallen away. 
but there is no wisdom being able to be found there. When we look at the verses in Ecclesiastes, it's not a new phenomenon. Our infatuation is to be like them. But God, and to be contrary to God, but as believers, those indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have the wisdom that the world needs and is truly lacking and longing for. We have the gospel of Jesus. We, and whether you like it or not, you are an ambassador of the gospel. You are a preacher of the word. And the only question is, do you believe it? Because if you believe what you say, your life would be replicating of it your life would be an example of what you believe. Because if you're a diehard fan of the Patriots, you don't wear Green Bay Packer out, uh, gear. If you are a diehard uh, politician for the Republican or the Democratic Party, you don't, start, uh, you, don't, you don't advocate for the opposite. But if you believe the gospel and you believe who, who Jesus is and you believe that this, this is the redemption of the whole world, then your life would obviously reflect it. And for in... In Romans 10, 10 through 13, it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no uh, distinction between Jew and Greek, and we would be the Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the gospel. That is, the, that is what we have to preach. If, the, if this describes you, if this describes you, you are saved. And then you are adopted as a child of God. You have been crucified with Christ and you have been raised in his victory. Now that you are saved in Christ and growing in your sanctification, and that that is just the process that the Holy Spirit takes us through, making us more like Christ, then take on the family resemblance. It's time to join the family business, too. Because even though you might have an occupation, you might be a a school teacher, you might be an event coordinator, you might be uh, an analyst, but ultimately you have another job. You have the primary job as a believer in Christ, and that is to be a preacher of the gospel. Not that you have to stand on a stage, but just in your circle you will be a preacher. And then we read in Romans ten fourteen, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that has not heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The wisdom of Christ crucified is the wisdom that we all have to offer. It is the only true wisdom we have to offer to this world, and we all are preachers of this wisdom. So the question is, how have you been proclaiming this wisdom to, uh, to our circle? How have we been proclaiming this wisdom to our circles of our influence? Your circle of influence is your gospel circle. 
Your gospel circle are those who God has placed around you. It could be a family member, it could be a child, it could be your neighbor, it could be your coworker. That is your gospel influence. God has not asked you to, to reach the person in Bangladesh today, but he has asked you to reach the person that is right next to you. We do have missions that go out and we do, uh, do support that, but the person that's standing next to you, that rides next to you on the way to work, that you get to have a conversation with on a regular basis, that is the person that's in your circle of influence, your gospel circle of influence. One of the greatest deterrents of the gospel are do-gooders. And we think about this, oh, that person's a really good person. They do this and they do that. But, the, but these are those who live good lives, good Christian lives, but never share where their hope comes from. And remember, our hope comes from Christ. Our Christian morality appears to, to be a desired quality of those that are around us who are struggling with sins. And I know we all have sin and we all struggle with this, but, but we have the hope. And for somebody that sees you living a good life, having joy in your life, and all that you can say is like, oh, well, I do this and I do that, and I, and I, I go to church on a regular basis, but, but don't have any context of how that actually goes, because then at that point, any religion can be good, because any religion will give them uh, uh, rules to follow, that they will then have something to place their hope in, but that is still empty. Because if you just follow the rules, the Ten Commandments, the rules of God, you are still lost in your sin. And that's what the world has, is they only are struggling to make sure that they battle with this. And the wisdom that we have, that is Christ. The wisdom that we can give, well, that is Christ. They believe that in doing good things, just like you, doing these things to others, to themselves, to their community, and they will be able to repair and restore their own lives. And this is just not true. If this is what we present to them, then we have led them astray. If the gospel and the workings of the Holy Spirit in and through us is not the foundation of the difference, then we are no different than the world and what we are offering them. There's a book that's been publicized greatly by so many uh, celebrities, uh, sports figures. Uh, two of them would be Steve Harvey and uh, Oprah Winfrey, two very popular, very, very wealthy individuals who get to speak into a lot of things. And that book they, that they, uh, they talk about is The Secret. And it's, it, I mean, I'm not keeping a secret. It, it is. The book is called The Secret. And if you've had a chance to, uh, to, if you've heard anything about it, it hits on the four areas that the Bible, in fact, Steve Harvey says that this is the greatest book next to the Bible, but he doesn't advocate reading in the Bible, he advocates reading the secret, and inside the secret, it teaches you how to have uh, better relationships, um, better work ethic, and better finances, but it also hits on spirituality, and they use this, this, this technique called um, law of attraction. And the law of attraction says whatever you put out into the universe, whatever you say comes back to you. That takes the role of God away and puts it into us. That makes us God. Because there's only one person, that, one individual that was able to do ex nihilo, and that is to speak something out of a, uh, nothing, and that was God. 
But when we say, well, I'll put this word out and it will come back to me. I'll put this word out and it will come back to me. It's just straight sin, straight from hell. It makes you God. Well, this law of attraction has infiltrated churches. And that doesn't call itself uh, the law of attraction, but it calls it the word of faith. Many popular pastors will use this and they'll say, if you say these things, you'll get it. You are now going to, you'll say positive things and you'll get positive things back. You'll say, you'll say uh, things that you want and you'll be able to get them and bring them into your life. God can do that. God can use words to create something out of nothing. But we need to rely upon that God to do things for us. When we preach Christ crucified, lives are changed. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, and I love this set of verses, it says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That's the world we live in. It's perishing. But to us who, who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let me say that again. I love it. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and folly for the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, is the wisdom of God. If we keep talking about wisdom and we talk about, I want to be wise in my, my decision making, we first need to go to God because God is wisdom. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Goes back to those influencers, to you. You may never have the platform that they have, but the words that you say in quiet radiate forever. Not many of you were born noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing those that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We must be humble. And because of him, you are in Christ. Who became, to us, who, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and, sa and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I hope you can see from those verses that we read in Ecclesiastes the truth of the wisdom that you have. Despised by many, forgotten, the words are said in quiet. We do not have the same platform as the loud yelling ruler around fools and the wisdom is more powerful than anything that uh, the gospel and the wisdom is more powerful than anything that comes against us and comes against the, uh, the word 
I hope that you can see it. The world still tells us that we have a problem. And there's lots of them. And we'll, they'll seek after one social justice, after one other social justice. And we've been doing this for 6,000 years, and we still haven't figured out how to make things right. We still have not come up with that government that is going to uh, lord over us and make things right all the way around. Every government, every judicial system has all been flawed. Even the most perfect ones have still been flawed. And we still come against the same thing of inadequacy and inequity in sin and injustice. But we have something. We have something to give the world. And we can say that this, that God created this world and he made it with love and he made it with peace. And it was good. And God created man and he put man into the garden. And he said, you have one thing to do, one commandment. And man failed and he ate. And from his sin, death entered into the world. And that man, Adam, is our federal head. And every person, every single one of us who was born of ordinary generation, who have been born with that same sin nature. And we are in this world, and this world has been broken because of that sin. And we seek after so many things that will restore what, who we are and make us right and it's in good fellowship. So we'll seek a, a job to find meaning. We'll, we'll seek relationships that might be able to keep us whole. And then we'll seek entertainment. Anything to distract us. It might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be inappropriate relationships. But these things have still help uh, cause us to be broken. And we ask for justice. And then we seek justice from a holy and righteous God. And we know He's holy. And we know He's righteous. And we ask for justice. But if He brings us justice... When we all die, because we are all unjust and we are all sinful. But God in His mercy and His grace sent His Son. And the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. And that Son came to the earth. And He did not come in ordinary generation because He was born of a virgin. So He doesn't have the same federal head that we have. And He was born without sin nature. And in His and in his act of obedience, he fulfilled all of God's laws. Not just one, like Adam failed at, but he obeyed all of them. And he remained sinless. And in his, his passive obedience, he goes to the cross. The sinless lamb of God goes to the cross to bear our sins. And on that cross, in repentance and in grace and in love, God takes our sin and he nails it to the cross. And he puts that sin upon Jesus. He imputes it onto him and he takes it. And from that, we are justified. But not just that. We, we are then given the righteousness of Jesus. This imputation, this great exchange happens to where then our sin is forgiven and we're justified and then we are given the righteousness of Christ. And then, then when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And we are made whole and we are restored to our creator. And through this double imputation, through this great exchange, we are justified. And God at that moment becomes both just and the justifier, satisfying this need, this brokenness that's in our life. And off the cross, and on the cross, our sins are bared. And then three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. 
and providing a way for us to be saved. So we're not just saved from the penalty of sin in our justification, but in our sanctification, we are also saved from the power of sin, and we are able to live this, uh, live a life that is pleasing to God. Because prior to that, everything we did was filthy rags. Everything that we attempted to do, which was, we thought was good, was still falling short, because all have fallen uh, short of the glory of God. But in our sanctification, we are able to be saved from the power of sin. And that same power of, that saves us at the cross also saves us in our sanctification. It's the gospel that continues day in, day out, preserving us and keeping us. As the Holy Spirit is in us, we are then able to withhold and, and have the will to withstand the power of sin against us. But we're not done. We're still, one day, we'll be glorified and we'll be in the presence of our Savior. And, not at, the, and at that point, we won't just be saved from the, the penalty and the power, but we'll be saved from the presence of sin as we are in the presence of our Lord. That's the gospel. That's what we have. That's what we are able to give to this world that is lost and who is struggling. Their sins will always be amongst them, but the power of the gospel saves And as I'm closing this up, we still got a lot of time. When all the, uh, when Jesus had talked about uh, his blood, or his, his, his flesh and his blood being for salvation, it became very difficult for a lot of people to follow. And the, a lot of the disciples that had been around him, not the 12, but a lot of the disciples that had been around him walked away because the teaching was too hard. And he said to Peter, he says, are you going to stay? And Peter said in, in John 6, 68, 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. If we bring the gospel to people, if we share the gospel to, uh, with them, at that moment, they have the opportunity. They have heard the truth and they have heard the gospel and they have heard wisdom bring that to them that is what we have to share so as we're closing up i have a couple questions if have you heard the effectual call of the holy spirit and have you repented and submitted to jesus christ as your lord and savior if you haven't done that yet if you haven't heard the call and you haven't submitted and you haven't repented don't leave today without doing it if it's something that's true with inside you, praise the Lord. If yes, and you identify uh, as someone in your, uh, okay, I'm sorry, if you are saved and you have, uh, have accepted that, can you identify someone in your gospel circle of influence that you can share the gospel with? Remember, it's those people that are right around you. It might be your community group, it might be your work group, it might be your your uh, family, can you identify someone that needs to hear the gospel? And the next question I, I have for you, and this is the last one before they come back up. What are you going to do about it? You've been given the marching orders. You've been adopted into the family. In your sanctification, you are starting to resemble Christ more. And now you have a family business. Just like your new federal head, Jesus Christ, you have a gospel to present and you have something to share. What are you going to do about it?
I'm going to have uh, Rebecca and Taylor come back up. I just want to pray. I'm going to ask, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you've given us. But most, uh, most importantly, we thank you for the wisdom of the gospel that you've given us. That there is nothing else that saves. No name under heaven that saves but Jesus we ask, Lord, that you will give us wisdom in, in how we deal with this. But, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your, your love and your mercy and your grace. Amen.